Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Our first scripture reading today is from the Hebrew scriptures, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, a passage often referred to as Isaiah's Song of the Vineyard. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning this vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it with stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine bag in it. He accepted it to yield grapes but it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do from my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you but I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its edge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste that shall not be pruned or owed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard cry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us from Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five and one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
If I may, I'd like to arrange this sermon into two parts, fire and division, fire and division. And what do you say we begin at the beginning with fire? In the first verse I read, in verse 49, Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth. Now we have to recognize that's a little out of the ordinary. We'd expect Jesus to say something like love or forgiveness or I came so that your joy might be complete. But he said fire. So we have to ask ourselves, what is this fire? What exactly is this fire that Jesus came to bring? When throughout the book of Luke, Jesus used fire to explain a lot of different things. In one place, fire means justice and judgment. Think of the lake of fire reserved for the devil and his angels. In another place, Jesus used fire to describe the Christian life, struggle and refinement like a, like a trial by fire. The same way you put iron ore into a refinery, into a furnace, and it burns away the impurities and the iron comes out of the fire pure and strong. We face trials in our lives. And the struggle refines us and makes us stronger. In another place, fire means the Holy Spirit. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit, Luke said it looked like tongues of fire landed on each of them. John Calvin said the fire in this passage refers to the gospel, the good news, because it violently changes the face of things. The same way wildfire spreads across the earth, changing landscapes, tearing down the old and creating room for the new, the gospel, the message about Jesus brings radical change and new life. I don't want to sound flippant, but when Jesus said, I came to bring fire, I think he meant all of this stuff, plus one thing more. In verse 50, Jesus connected fire to baptism and to his own death. He mixed his metaphors, but who are we to grade Jesus on his rhetoric? The same way you go into water and come out, Jesus was about to go into the grave and come out. Jesus was about to endure the worst. The Apostles' Creed would say he descended into hell. One of our secretaries at Oakland Avenue has a cool way of looking at that line in the creed, he descended into hell. She says, Jesus went to hell to cancel our reservations. <laughs> I like that. Jesus had hellfire on the brain and he was stressed out about it. I would be too. And he was also impatient. You know, sometimes 
When, when you know something bad is going to happen, you get impatient, you get anxious, you just want to get it over with. And Jesus was ready. Judgment and justice, struggle and refinement, the Holy Spirit, gospel, the cross, death and resurrection. That's a lot. And I think Jesus came to earth to bring something so big, so important, so earth-shattering, so society-healing, so life-changing, he had to use a big metaphor like fire to explain it. Jesus came to bring fire. Jesus came to bring a whole new reality. That brings me to our second part. First we had fire, now we have division. And again, this is a little out of the ordinary. We don't normally associate Jesus with division. He's more of a unity and togetherness kind of guy. Peace, love, and understanding, that sort of thing. But there it is in verse 51. Jesus said, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No. I came to bring division. All the scholars I've read on this agree. It's not so much Jesus who creates the division. It's our priorities and convictions. Tell me if this logic works for you. Anytime a person takes a stand, anytime a person has a conviction or owns their identity, they distinguish themselves and it can create a separation. I don't like okra. Y'all have okra in Michigan, I believe. No? Do you know what, you know what okra is, okay. I, I don't like it. Um, but my wife loves okra. Now, was it the okra that created the division or was it my conviction? If you say Jesus is Lord, you're making a very big statement. You're taking a stand. You are declaring that Jesus is the single most important thing in your life. And that can cause some conflict. Your priorities might rub up against other people's priorities. And it can cause division. For example, we have a wonderful family back at Oakland Avenue. I, I can't say enough good things about this family. They're fantastic. And the husband is a very serious Clemson football fan. Y'all have football fans in Michigan, and no disrespect, but football in the Southeast is a totally different thing. My man is rabid, like Clemson football makes him foam at the mouth and bite people. <laughs> and he, he tells this story all the time. When he and his wife were engaged, before they even were married, she told him, this family we're putting together will not spend more money on Clemson football than we spend on Jesus. She took a stand and he replied, huh? He sounded like Scooby-Doo. Like, huh? And he said, well, my goal 
is to give 30% of our household income to the Clemson Booster Club. And she's so cool. She, she said, oh, 30%, that's fine. You just need to prepare yourself to give 31% to the church. <laughs> they weren't even married yet, and Jesus was already dividing husband and wife. It's about priorities and convictions. Now, let me say, as a, as a sports fan, I couldn't care less. But as a pastor, I love it when Clemson goes to the national championship because I know the church is going to get a check from that family and it'll be at least $1 more than what it costs to send two people to the national game. <laughs> Another example. 14 years ago, when I was the campus minister here at First Pres Ann Arbor, students would come to me to talk about their calling and their career choices. And that makes sense, right? Students want to know what God is calling them to do. And I remember one student, she said, my parents want me to go to med school and become a doctor. But I don't know. I've got the grades. I guess I could do it, but I think God's calling me to be an English teacher in the Detroit public schools. Well, there you go. Jesus bringing division between daughter and mother and daughter and father. And I can only imagine the rest of the conversation. We sent you to Michigan to be a doctor. But Jesus is calling me to be a teacher. Well, next time you talk to Jesus, tell him to pay tuition. <laughs> like I said, if, if Jesus is Lord... Jesus is the most important thing in life, and that is going to rearrange some priorities. Jesus Christ will have an effect on your convictions. He's supposed to. And naturally, those priorities and convictions can cause division. I don't know about you, but I, I'm kind of tired of hearing people talk about how American society is so divided right now. The word divisive is everywhere in our public discourse. Somebody needs to make a drinking game out of it. Like every time you hear the word division or divisive, you donate clean drinking water to Flint. Thank you for the chuckles. <laughs> People talk about it like this is the most divided time in American history. And I'm not convinced. Is it really worse than 1968, 1940, 1930, 1860? I live in South Carolina. South Carolina's politicians say and do things, but they haven't written up articles of secession yet. <laughs> All I'm saying is I don't know. To me, it doesn't feel like our society is more divided. It feels like the veil has been lifted. And many of us are beginning to see divisions that have been there since 1492. It feels like some people are beginning to wake up to reality. And that's not division. 
That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of Christ revealing the truth, and the truth will set you free. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a Republican or a Democrat or something else. If you call yourself a Christian, Almighty God comes first. And we have to do the hard work of being faithful to God. We have to ask ourselves tough questions. Who is this God revealed in Jesus Christ? What did Jesus go through in his life? What did he teach? Whom did he welcome? Would the Prince of Peace approve of this? One more thing, and I promise to finish. Whenever I prepare a sermon, I I look through the passage for commandments. If the paragraph commands us to do something, the way I see it, it's probably important, and we should probably pay attention and emphasize those commandments. But there are no commandments in this passage. Jesus didn't tell us to do anything. He simply described reality. This is how it is. Christ came to bring fire. He came to bring justice, the refining struggle, the Holy Spirit, and the good news. He also came to go through hell so we wouldn't have to. Church, God is real. God loves you. God loves everyone. And Jesus Christ is the proof. Believe it. Have a conviction. Let the God of justice, love, and mercy set you apart. And don't be surprised by the way other people react. Amen. Let us continue on in the spirit of prayer. Let us pray. Out of our ordinary, everyday lives, we have gathered us here, holy God, to this time of worship, to this time of praise. Let the spirits of those we have loved who now live eternally with you draw near and bless us with their presence, that we would be able to bless you, to listen for your word, to immerse ourselves in your grace and in your love. Open us fully to your presence with us. How inspiring it is to catch glimpses of you at work, especially when that work you are doing is through us. Remind us that we are yours. Support us as we become more open to you. Grant us that gift of being able to participate with you in newness, in in life, in love, in creating beauty, in growing kindness in the world. We want that love and connection that can only come through you for one another. We hope, we hope to be alert and awake and alive to the ways you are present.
calling you place on us to engage in everything you care about in this world, particularly that which seems too hard at times for us. Take the chaos of the world that has found its way into our hearts. Speak your word and give order and form and new creation. Help us to find the rest we need so that we are not fatigued in the face of difficulty. Help us to find the courage we need so we do not turn away from opportunities to change and grow. Help us to move out of our places of safety and security, to move into moments in which deeper connections can be made. Where though we are vulnerable with one another, there is trust and wonder. We are holy and perfect people. We know. So we ask you to take the failures and defeats, the guilt and the shame, the things that bind our spirits, to speak your word and set us free. From that awareness of our humanness, of our fragility, bond us one to another without the judgments and hurts that too often get in the way of remaining there unmoved. We long for your goodness and essence to shape our lives, to shape this community as we welcome new staff, new pastors, new members, as we shift and change. Let our vision be upward in you, our expectations as great for us as your hopes and dreams for this your body of Christ that is always becoming. Awaken us to your Holy Spirit who is making all things new, even us. We ask it all in Jesus' name who sends us out to speak love and mercy and grace to those who are waiting and belonging and hoping for that sign that they are not alone, that you are a God of love and a Savior who knows their name, a Holy Spirit who is leading them and us together and home. In his name we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.